A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Welcome back to the Poe Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poe Hitter. You can always catch me on X or Twitter at Dead Poe Hitter, the Poe Hitter Podcast at Poe Hitter Pod. And don't forget to check us out on the Patreon at patreon.com. Put Poe Hitter in the search box. Take you right to my page. We're doing off-season content all off-season long. I am closely, very closely ready to start my player breakdown series. I will be doing a patter and a picture minimum per day in audio form and also note bullet bullet point presentation form so you can read and you can listen at the same time i'm really excited to get those started and uh, my goal is to get yeah one batter one pitcher per day from now all the way until the middle of march and right now i am gathering data from the nfbc i have uh, google sheets for each format with overalls Shows the overall rankings, the percentage of points that each team accumulated in each statistic, um, 80th and 90th percentiles for each format, and in a chart that you can kind of relate it to each other. You can see what the draft champions were, the first main events. I also have correlations between at-bats and the statistics for every for the last three years for each format. So, you know, how does at-bats correlate to runs? Um, and also with all the statistics at bat in the five batting categories, five pitching categories, plus in and pitch to the overall pitching point and hitting points, respectively. So I have that. Got the player breakdown series. Going to be a lot of also um, other goodies that you'll be able to get on the Pull Hitter Patreon, and a lot of little mini pods that'll pop up for special guests or maybe continuations of guest pods that will have from the public pods that will make its way into the Patreon space as well. So come check it out. It's a free trial for seven days and then it's five bucks at the entry tier um, at this point. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. But uh, today I start the off season. We couldn't really, you know, I did the podcast with Brian Slack and Dylan White and that was just kind of putting a wrap on the season. And now we're going to go look back and looking forward to 2023 and looking forward to 2024 uh first guest is russell withers you can find him on twitter x at russ at armchair roto and you could also check his website at uh, armchairroto.com and he put out an article recently about how to project the 2024 prospects and playing time for draft champions reasons we're all drafting draft champions now and we're getting into swing of drafts so you really check that out armchairroto.com we're going to his edit, uh, twitter x you can check out his handle at armchairroto and he has the link to the article there as well we got into a good discussion about looking back at the main event from last year 
and draft champions and looking forward to um, what we can expect this year from some of the prospects that made their debut and maybe didn't get a full workload and how that could project into drafting them and draft champions right now because we're going to see a big rise in people drafting prospects, pitchers especially, batters, earlier and earlier now in, in, in draft formats because of the success of recent prospect performances so hope you enjoy the podcast and um we're gonna get we're gonna keep rolling all season long we're gonna keep bringing you the actionable stuff that you can really use and bring to the draft table to win your league so thanks for checking us out and enjoy the show all righty welcome back to the pole hitter podcast this is rob d the dead pole hitter and we're rolling through this off season right now draft champions are happening Playoffs are happening. I got a special guest here, Mr. Russell Withers, first time on the Pull Hitter podcast. Russell, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot, Rob. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yes, absolutely. Pleasure to be talking with you. Um, you know, I woke up one morning, checked my emails and inbox. I saw a little armchair roto, which is, uh, you know, your little email that you got that goes right into your website. And you had this wonderful article about looking toward um, the prospects of 2024. And it was such a thing that's been on everyone's minds. And um, like Jeff Hemmerman cleverly uh, wrote on on X Twitter um, that it was just the best thing he's re- read so far this year because I think you captured what what was on everyone's mind, and and you put it out into a paper. Well, not paper, but you know, a digital form of reading. Um, so tell tell everyone about that. Um, but before that. Just, just, just give me a little intro about you, how you got started into this, you know, the fantasy baseball world that we're so um, deeply involved with. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, man, where do I start? Uh, I guess I've been playing fantasy baseball for a little over 20 years. Um, in about 2001, I was in college and I was also working at Acclaim Entertainment as a video game tester. Uh, we called them quality assurance analysts. But um, at the studio in Austin where I worked, that's where they were making All-Star Baseball. And nice. uh, my, my, my older brother was was a designer on the game, so there was some nepotism going on there. He got me this sweet job testing games. <clears throat> and um, everybody on the development team was playing fantasy baseball, and they needed somebody. And my brother was like, hey, you should you should do this. And you know, I've, always, I've always liked baseball. I grew up an Astros fan, but I was like, I'm not doing that. That sounds stupid. <laughs> and uh, he got me to do it. And man, I cannot remember ever being hooked on something like I was with fantasy baseball. I think a month in, I was, you know, sitting in my room in the dark in the middle of the night with my computer screen glowing at me, looking at the waiver wire, you know, seeing who to add. And just, I was just immediately in, all in and hooked. And it's been like that ever since. And, uh, you know, in those early days, uh, I played on ESPN, and ESPN was not free back then. You had to actually pay to uh, to play ESPN Fantasy, and the winner just got a T-shirt. And I even I even wrote for ESPN for a while. Um, oh, nice. before Before Matthew Berry came on, ESPN had these, they called them fantasy correspondents, and it was just bloggers for each pro team. And uh, I was an English student in college at the time, and there was an opening for the Rockets. And uh, I just emailed and submitted a writing sample. And uh, the next thing you know, Eric, Eric Carabell is replying and saying, yeah, you can do the Rockets. And so 
I did weekly fantasy blog posts on ESPN for the Rockets for a year. And then the Astros opened up and I took that. And I did that for about three years. Um, and then uh, and then ESPN bought Matthew Berry's site. Matthew Berry came in and cleaned house with all us free, free writers um, and brought in real content. But that was a whole lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing that. And, you know, after that, it was just playing for a long time. And uh, f- finally, a few years ago, I just got the itch and launched this blog and built a website around it. And I don't write that often, just kind of whatever the mood strikes me. And with the with the article that you mentioned, I do uh, so much prep when the when the season ends. Like in September, I'm already prepping for the new season. I'm building my uh, player pool for draft champions because I know I'm going to be drafting pretty quick uh, when the offseason starts. And so I was trying to put together uh, playing time projections for for prospects. And I just thought, well, things are things are kind of different now with the rules. Maybe I should just map out what teams actually did last winter. So I put together the spreadsheet and uh, I wasn't going to share it with anybody. I was just going to use it for myself and I don't really know what came over me. I just kind of was sitting around with nothing to do and decided to throw it up on the blog. I hadn't written anything in a while. So I threw it up and, uh, you know, Jeff read it and he's, you know, so complimentary and and willing to share things when he finds something interesting. So he he retweeted it or re-exited it or whatever you want to call re-exited. it. And, and the, uh, he sent an next message and uh, the thing just took off, man. And it's been, it's been pretty well received. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Um, yeah, Jay Z is a tough cookie. So if if you know he's big on, it has to be actionable. Like he, he that's his move, and and it makes sense. You know, we're always trying to find things that are actionable, and um, yeah, I just um, and then and then it took on its own life in the Paul Hitter Patreon Discord, where it just spurred other people diving more into stuff that you brought up and then creating like a list of possible pitchers and which is also so cool man i love just the way everyone we're in the same draft as, <laughs> as everybody and we're all coming up with ways to try to help each other out which is uh it, which is really cool but um what what else do i know you do your projection systems how how do you like what what goes into that for you? Is it something very basic? Is it something super intricate? Like how do you how did you get to doing a projection? Or oh, feel comfortable enough at least to actually try them? Yeah, well, it's funny that you ask because I'm actually not gonna do my own this year. Um, okay. For the last three seasons, I think I've 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 done my own. I have a little spreadsheet tool that I made where it's kind of like a I describe it as kind of a Marcel plus. I have a whole bunch of things on my customized fan graph page and I'll take my samples. I just copy and paste them into my spreadsheet. I have some drop down menus for, for weightings and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that I throw into the soup and they've served me pretty well, but it takes so much time to do them all individually right. and being, being honest with myself. I don't know if I'm adding anything that I couldn't get from steamer or the bat and, and those systems, you know, they'll project things like OPS and WRC plus and things that I like to use as a shorthand for, you know, players who might stick um, rather than just, just raw projection numbers, uh, counting stats. And so what I did this year was I, I did what I always do, which is build my player pool. I go, I spend a lot of time on roster resource 
going through every single player that I think could possibly even maybe be relevant next year. And I go through and I put them all in a spreadsheet and I do all of the player, all, all the position eligibility by hand. And then I sort them by position and by team. And then I actually, I still went through everybody and projected playing time. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm waiting for the projections to come out because I'll just dump the projections in and my sheet will automatically convert the projections to the playing time I've entered. And, uh, and then it'll be off to the races. That's awesome. That's so much fun. The playing time thing I think is so much fun to do. You know, it can, it can really make or break your season. If you really feel strongly, you know, super stronger than, than, and the projections do. Um, and that's something it's just, it's so good to nail in, you know, at, at any phase of the draft too. Um, whether it's fading a guy that's going high because you may not see the path to consistent playing time and, and gaining guys that are going later on in the draft, you know? Um, yeah. And it's a, and it's a way of kind of, sometimes you could build your own, your own hedging into it. So, you know, if there's a, if there's a player you like, that's, if you don't know exactly how much playing time they're going to get, but, um, but you're willing to pay for, you know, pay draft wise, you know, 200 plate appearances, and it's a it's a way of of putting a a cost on that. You you know if you look at Steamer, Steamer Steamer does this thing where they'll they'll put in you know one plate appearance for for the for the uh, uh, like on the depth chart projections because they don't really right. know how much a prospect is going to be. But if you use Steamer six hundred, um, then you can set your own playing time and you can say, well, I think you know I might be willing to pay one hundred and fifty plate appearances, two hundred plate appearances for this guy. And then all of a sudden you've got a different value on that player than everybody else using steamer does. And, you know, you might as well be using a different projection system. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I think that that's really key in how to use a projection system is really paying attention to, you know, even case or nine, just stuff like that. Because I think a lot of people were kind of, um, you know, when they want to shit on, a projection they always point out to ne- they never pointing to like breakout seasons like Spencer Strider, for mm-hmm. example. But if you look closely, you would have saw that on uh, Cage, like they they were close, you know, in in that aspect. They just didn't have the playing time down. So, like you were saying, if yeah. you st- if you look at the Braves and you said at that point, you know, mm-hmm. I see a path to him pitching 130 innings. Like you would have been someone who'd been like, yeah, okay, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it'll work but, out. I mean. Even more than that, that year that Spencer Strider broke out, you, know, you didn't know if he was going to be a starter or a reliever, but you right. could see these you could see these monstrous strikeout numbers. And I think in my sheet, I, I had him somewhere in the middle. I had him for like 75 innings or something. And that was enough to 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 put him on my draft board in those in those late rounds. And I had him on a ton of teams that year that he broke out. So you just, you know, the potential was there and he didn't cost a whole lot to draft. Yeah. You're, I I totally totally whiffed on that that season. I just uh, I don't know what it was. It just I think I think it's because when you're drafting, a lot of the time you just you you get stuck into these um, pockets that like I'll need you know I need this I need this, and you're checking your roster and you're like oh I need one more corner or and you just sometimes you just get so focused on those things and, and you lose sight of maybe just picking what you may think is the best talent out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, fantasy's tough. So when did you get started playing on the NFBC? Oh man, this was this last season was my tenth season uh, playing on the NFBC. Um, I dabbled for a long time. Um, I was always one of these people that wanted to find a draft immediately when the when the season ended. Mm-hmm. So I guess in whatever year that was, 2013, 12, 12 or thirteen. Okay, I was just jonesing to find something, and I just stumbled across it. And I was like, "What? What is this site? What is Draft Champions?" There wasn't any content around, around it or anything. Um, so I found it, bought a three pack, and and you know it's. It scratches that itch for you uh, in the winter. And I kind of plugged along for a few years. And then I'd say <clears throat> four years ago, I started playing a lot of volume on the draft mm-hmm. champions. And then three years ago, I started started playing the fab leagues and some of the higher stakes leagues. Um, I've been doing OCs for three years. And uh, this was my second year doing the main event. Which I saw that you made a nice climb um, in a, a ton of categories. We'll get to that later, but those um, it seemed like you did a, a really impressive job there gathering the stats needed to cash. Um, so, with the high volume DC, do you is it just because you love drafting, or you just want to get you know a bunch of different portfolios of teams or players? Like, why do you like to volume draft? You know. <sighs> I mean, I just enjoy playing fantasy so much yeah. that the that the off season, I just don't really want it to end, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. so the drafts start, and I just love being able to sit around and you know pull it up on my phone and see that I'm six picks away and putting players in my queue. I just uh, I just don't like taking time off. Um, mm-hmm. It just it just brings me a lot of joy. It's fun. So. I mean that's basically that's basically it, man. And and when the season rolls around, I don't find that that having that many draft and holds um, is is all that time consuming. I mean, when you play DCs at a certain point, at a certain point in the season, you get to a point where there's only so many players you can throw in the lineup, and it's like, well, you know, I could gain a couple of points in stolen bases, but this this power hitter I have is a much better fit for my lineup. And then, well, not a better fit for the lineup, but much more likely to be a productive player. You have to decide between like the crappy player who might get you a stolen base and the really good player who you don't really need to be active. And those are like the most difficult situations, the most difficult oh, decisions you have to make. You just like, nailed yeah, that. Like, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll plug in miles straw over a much <laughs> better, over a much better player. Cause I have to, you know, Oh man, you just you just nailed it on the head. The te- the team that I was um that came in second for me in the overall of the DC this year, I had three hundred and thirteen stolen bases. I ended up with I uh, was second, I think. With but the only team that actually went three hundred, three hundred. I had so many unnecessary steals, but it was Acuna, Wander, and Carroll. It was so crazy. Everyone just stole bases, and at some point. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I need to make up some ground in power. And it was just like sitting Michael Garcia, <coughs> you know, for Chris Taylor or Rowdy, yeah. who 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 may not, you know, may only get three plate appearances. I'm like, yeah. Garcia's not gonna hit a homer for like this period. And so those those positions, like you said, when you're 
man, it's so it's so different than a fab league because, you know, you make your moves in according to your roster and you're like, okay, you get your Monday to Thursday starter off of fab or you got your, you know, one extra outfielder. So if anyone gets hurt or is out, you can switch. It's limited switching. But in DCs, especially if you got a nice healthy roster, sometimes I'm like, which outfielder am I going to sit? Like this, this one team mm-hmm. that it just was, I think, in the top 10 in plate appearances, I just – my bench had – so many guys that were just not playing um, on my team, you know, but playing every day or nearly every day that it was uh, those, those lineup choices are the toughest. It's easy to choose from, you know, your, your maybe two bench guys in fab, but when there's seven, eight guys to like cipher from, that's when I really go into rabbit holes. Like, you know, what's the opposing pitcher? What does the opposing pitcher throw? What does this guy hit? Well, like, especially when, like you said, you're trying to make up a point or two in stone bases, things that could just bring you, a good profit, you know, so you're like stretching those positions and, oh man, it's just too many guys. And like you said, with, you know, a lot of teams and that just compounds and it's a lot of decisions that you got to make, mm-hmm. but it's great. Yeah, it, for sure. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. So also on your website too, you, um, you wrote a little, um, postmortem of, um, your, your draft that you did last year with Steve Mayer, who won the draft champions last year. And I, th- I thought that was a cool, cool little practice that you, that you guys did on Zach Waxman's podcast, where you just had a little draft, right. Of just everyone taken after ADP of 400. Is that what, is that what it was? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was fun. Um, yeah. Someone, someone should definitely pick that up since Zach's not going to be podding anymore. Oh, he's not. I don't think so. Oh, that's what he says anyway. Yeah, interesting. But um, I like I like though how you know it it's really good. Um, the article shows like a great way to just um explain just just really look at your team. It's, tr- it's something I try to really do and see where you really went wrong or what you could improve on, and um like what players actually got you specific stats in the starting lineup for you. You know, it's it's really key when you look back at it and you're like, wow, like. This this pick, you know, this J.P. Crawford pick because I needed a third shortstop, right? He was he was the kind of guy I took when I just needed that last shortstop just so I felt comfortable with having three, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. all right, J.P. Crawford, boom, he plays every day. He might, you know, he lead, you know, that, that's all you want, you know, at that point, pick 400 and 450 when you're just looking for a guy that you could stick on your roster and you could use on weeks, just guy who has a starting job and plays every day. And Crawford just end up, you know, obviously, you know, seeing the results of uh, his driveline sessions, you <laughs> really uh, pick him up this season. But that was, uh, I thought that was a really cool little, um, cool little article that you had with really explaining how much value there is after pick 400, you know? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I went through and, and the, the players that really hit big after 400, I went through and just kind of gave a little one sentence explanation for why they were valuable. For example, you know, Hunter Harvey, Good believer in a bad bullpen recipe for 10 saves. You know, that's yeah. just the, the kind of thing you have to keep in mind when you're making these late draft picks. Absolutely. Um, there's a ton of these guys, like, you know, like Michael Lorenzen, you know, um, <laughs> you wrote it happens. <laughs> oh, he, yeah. finally, he finally had 150 innings, but he's not, he's not terrible. He's not great, but he's just, listen, in draft champion, you, you get a guy who's going to go out and give you six innings every every week. It's huge, <laughs> you know. I I use that it happens a lot. Like uh, you say, Kikuchi, fifth year vet worth drafting for strikeouts alone, and decided to cut his walks nearly in half. It happens. Yeah, 
<laughs> it happened. And it, and and it's really amazing to see um, you know, uh Spencer Steer was going that late, you know, just 20, you know, 20, 20 homers, 15 stolen bases. He played four four spots on the field. It's so it's, yeah. it's so huge. And now he's going in the top top 105, which is I think it's a very interesting situation, especially with the uh, a roster that they have out yeah. in uh, out in Cincinnati. Um, so let's take a look back at 2023. What were your expectations? Uh, you know, everyone had their thoughts like this guy's going to steal this much, or these hitters are going to bump their average up. What like what was your outlook on it prior um, of the start of the season, and how how did you you know do? How did you fare into? Yeah, so you know, I I put my projections out publicly facing last year, so I had to I had to make some decisions on on how to approach that, and my best guess on stolen bases was I just uh, I just put a fifteen percent stolen in, stolen base increase across the board, okay. so I just did I just did uh, my standard projections, and then I just went down the row and added fifteen percent on everybody. So you know, players that. Were projected to steal one or two, didn't see much of an increase, but the players who were projected to steal more saw a bigger increase. And, you know, at the time, uh, not to keep mentioning uh, Zimmerman, um, he he said publicly and messaged me privately, like, hey, stolen bases are going to increase way more than this. There are going to be a lot of people that don't agree with you. And we had a really good back and forth. Obviously, it, it turns out he was right about that. Um, on on batting average, um, I just I just um, I looked at players who were shifted the most, uh, players who pulled the ball on the ground more often than others, and I just uh, I baked in a little bit of batting average juice extra for those players. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, I thought about this a lot. I don't know that any of that really matters all that much. Um, because when the season starts, the environment is what it is, and everybody's playing in it under the same rules, and you have to be able to adjust. And, you know, it was, this was such a weird season. You know, you look at the waiver wire, and, you know, there's guys like Jiwon Bay sitting out there, and it's mm-hmm. like, man, this guy's got 20 steals, and he's just sitting out there, but he's also not very good, and I don't really want to add him. So what do I do? Um there was a whole lot of that this season, yeah. uh, which which I think is great. I think that makes the game more fun. It definitely does. I mean, I just remember at the one point when I was just looking at the 80th percentile, just tracking, you know, every every day the stolen base attacks rate of of the league every day, and I was like, man, this this is getting this isn't getting out of hand very quickly, and um, thankfully on my fab teams, you know, I I had one one team where I just like constantly had to try to fab stolen bases and home runs. And man, when I looked at my fab stats, the guys that were plugged into the lineup and that had collectively got me almost 50 stolen bases, but came with a 216 average. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's one thing I, I, I found like, obviously we know how hard it is to replace good ratios, but Man, I just have to put a little bit more emphasis on batting average, I think, in the offseason, just so when you have to fab those categories, it, it it won't get pummeled. So it was just too much Drew Waters and Trent Grishams and Brenton Doyle. <laughs> it's just like it was too yeah. much of all of them and not just one of them. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I did the Brenton Doyle thing on a couple of teams, and it just, you know, you just feel gross. Hey, bet at 261 uh, in September, Russ. <laughs> there true. is hope. That's there true. is hope. Uh, but I, I, I rode Drew Waters for a, for a long time during the mm-hmm. season, and I loved every minute of that. Uh, yeah. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. And then and then he just started to get too much time off. I just like, why yeah. why are you taking him out? He's the best defensively out there for you. And he's like, oh, you know, he was like sitting for like Oliveras on some days. I'm like, this is just garbage. Just let him play. Mm-hmm. He's fine. He's fine. And he's got an interesting ADP to shade around that 350 range, which is yeah, which is um I was all over him last season before that oblique injury. I was taking him like every single draft champion. Yeah. And, you know, um, finally when he came back, it was like gaining, you know, it's like a fab addition on your draft champion team when he finally got healthy and came onto your team. But um, so tell me about like, you know, you're drafting now. Tell me about drafting early versus drafting late. A lot of people um, don't believe in drafting early. They want to take a break or they just like, ah, you know, the the risk for them outweigh that the benefits of being more prepared than people in the room per se. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people go that route. It's like ah, but what if I get this pitcher and he's done for the season and you know before they even get to spring training and that's that's definitely fair. But what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean that's obviously a risk and it sucks when that happens. Um, that I mean, that issue just kind of is is what it is. That's a risk that everyone takes when they draft this early. As far as benefits and and downsides, I think there are arguments all around. I don't really, I don't really. I think they all kind of cancel each other out. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear I hear people say I draft early because I do a ton of prep work and I'm ready, and I have an edge over the other people who are drafting. And uh, I mean, I believe that about myself. I do a lot of prep work and I feel like I'm ready. But the thing is, I mean, who is who is drafting in October that isn't just as insane as you are? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I just have a hard time believing that that it's me and a bunch of scrubs. I mean, mm-hmm. like I'm in a I'm in a draft right now and it's like Steve Weimer, you know, Alaka's in there, who's a former co-overall winner. And, you know, it's a bunch of really, really good players. And so any edge that I might have, I think, is is a wash. Um, in terms of, you know, how, how, I, how I do, I think I've done better uh, in the later drafts of the season. Um, I actually I, – I did 16 DCs last winter, and my best teams were all kind of in the middle, the November, December, January teams. Okay. Um, my early drafts, I think I cashed in, in one of the really early drafts, um, but for the most part, they weren't very good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I do, I mostly do it because, because I'm prepared and I want to, and I really enjoy it. Scratches think, an itch for me. No, hundred percent. It definitely does. I, I thoroughly enjoy it too. That's the thing. It's, um, you, you know, you, if people, if you're pumping out drafts just, just because, and it, it's not thrilling it happy. Well, you it brings me to a happy place. Love pressing that draft button. It's huge. Like it's a it's it's a decision that that you you put yourself to and uh, with your process. And I think you made a great point. It's like you can't assume that um, everyone else is just a dud or not as prepared as you. Like, and I think you phrased it perfectly. Like you know you're prepared, and that's 
that's that's all you need, you know, uh, a step in the ring. And then everybody else, I mean, it, the competition around is just getting way better. You know, everyone's getting sharper. The process is getting sharper. There's stuff out there, you know, that people are learning and, and taking to. And it's awesome. Um, I, I think it's one of the best parts about the NFBC is it's constantly running to some players that, you know, if you look at the historical standings or you consistently see them in the top, you're like, oh man, this this person is 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 good. You know, solid player here. Um so when you get to your uh draft, are you providing yourself with some fluidity throughout the draft or maybe I know like some people map out X amount of rounds to start or they they'll say, I want to get you know, two closers or two catchers. Do you have anything that you firm on, or the change from year to year? How does it, how does it work for you? Oh man, I have a pretty long-winded answer to this. Good. Uh, in, ter- cool. in, in terms, in terms of mapping things out, I don't really do that in a DC. I think I, I mean really the only team where I sit down ahead of time and map out what I'm going to do in the first eight to ten rounds is the main event, and that's just because the stakes are so high. And you know what your draft order is going to be way ahead of time. You know, with a, with a DC, it's like you do your KDS and the league fills, and it's like, okay, let's roll. Um, I have some some general rules I like to follow. Um, you know, in the first ten rounds, I like to have three starters. Um, I'm in the past. I have worked really hard to have two closers uh, in the first ten rounds. I kind of think I'm getting away from that a little bit this season, which I, which when I listen to all the other pods, that sounds like it's the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Um, I just did that almost universally last season. I did, I did great in saves. Um, but you know, I win leagues with one really good closer and, and uh, you know, one not very, not very good closer. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you obviously you need to to compete in saves if you want to uh, if you want to have a shot at the overall. Um, but I have just found that you know taking your medicine, as as Dom likes to say, mm-hmm. um, has maybe hurt me a little more than than I'm than I'm willing to to accept this season. Interesting. So so as of right now. I've done two drafts already. As of right now, I've taken one good closer and then kind of waited and thrown some darts later. Okay. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me that's what they've done in the past and they're they're getting away from that. So we'll see how it goes. And I'll and I probably won't do that all season. I think I'm gonna mix it up. I probably will have some teams where I double up and and take two top closers. I'm gonna just do a bunch of different combinations um, and not have not have so many rigid rules like I've had in years past. Um, I wrote this, uh, there's an article on my site I wrote a couple of years ago. It's, it's, it's the most read article I've, that, I've, that I've put up. Um, it's, I forget what, exactly what it's called, but it's eight, years, it's, it's eight years of lessons learned doing draft champions on the NFBC. And in that article, I lay out this kind of rigid roster construction and uh, I kind of feel like I'm going to disavow that now. I feel like I should write an update to it because I, <laughs> I, I, I just feel quite different about it now. Like, for example, you know, in the article, I think what I've said is I want, I want 
four catchers, three of every infield position, 10 outfielders. And then I kind of describe the, the tier of player that I want for each of those three, like a, like an obvious surefire starter, uh, another starter who's maybe not very good, and then maybe a platoon bat or a part-time player as my as my third third baseman, shortstop, second baseman. Um, as I draft this season, I am just feeling so sick from plugging in Nick Allen and Tony Kemp all of last season. You know the this sort of mantra of well they're going to play every day and they're going to they're going to, they're a warm body. They're going to have at bats and you need to have somebody to plug in. Well, I, mean, I had a lot of players like that, that I was able to plug in all season uh, last season. And I don't really feel like any of them helped me win anything. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of feeling like for that, for that third infielder and the, the ninth and 10th outfielder, I think I'm willing to go more prospects than I have uh, in the year in years past. So, so I've been doing that in, in the drafts I've done this season already. I've also been less rigid with the pitcher hitter split. The last couple of years, I've been pretty, pretty rigid about uh, 26 hitters and 24 pitchers. Okay. Uh, with these drafts, I've been willing to go 27, 28 hitters just since I'm not taking those, uh, you know, boring is beautiful. Steve Weimer filler players. I'm taking more more shots on players who who may or may not pop with with playing time. Um, so just kind of a a more flexible uh, approach to drafts this this off season. I'm not going to follow so many rigid rules. I got to have this 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 and this. That's good. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm trying to get away from that too. Even as I chart. You know, usually like when it gets to around 35, I'll just take I'll take an assessment of my team and be like, okay, what where am I going to go with these last 15 picks? If I haven't had them earmarked for a couple of guys, you know, that I wanted to target anyway. But it's really um, up until then, I'm not trying to stick to anything, just picking the best player out there. And then like when it gets to around 35, I'm trying to look, so just look around and be like, okay, where, where can I plug in? What can I even maybe skip on? You know, I don't need a fourth catcher, you know. Uh, maybe I'll just go with three in this draft. It's kind of, yeah. you know, what I did last year a lot. Like if I got the 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 JTR and the Sal P type, I would take one guy at the end and just have him as a sub. And that's it. Um, yeah. And I like that a lot better <laughs> than, than yeah, for sure. oh, I need to get four, which was stuck in my brain since I started playing. And it's. It doesn't need to be that way if you have anchors at the position, you know, especially yeah, catcher. For sure. I, I don't think I'm going to take four catchers on any teams uh, this season. Last year, I I did pretty well taking two solid catchers and then maybe a prospect. I had a lot of Yiner Diaz, a lot of, uh, a lot of Indy. And, uh, you know, having those guys come up and supplement what I already had was really helpful. And that fourth slot that would otherwise go to some – garbage catcher that you know wouldn't be as good as an injured player to plug in uh, I think would be better used on a, on a on a different shot you could take at a different position yeah so last year um, in draft I taught I've I closed down my my split um, used to be in that 20 
24, 23 range. And some teams I went down to even 21, 22 pitchers. Um, that was more top heavy. If I was really top heavy and had some good starters, I felt strong about three or four that I felt that could anchor. I would take less, you know, less volume down low. Um, and K's actually, um, came back as, as like my best category, um, K's and runs. Um, so I, thinking I'm going to try to do the same thing this year, except for, um, you know, my late specs were terrible. I, I didn't get any, maybe Jason Foley, if you want to call him a hit, you know, like I said, on the team that almost won the overall, he was big. He had five saves at pick 49. That was bigger than I can put into words uh, how yeah. much, um, how many points that got me. But um, so, and I maybe didn't take enough shots, uh, but I, I don't know. I really targeted a lot of the, um, in what other years probably would have worked, but I drafted skills, you know, not roles and guys that ended up being, you know, really good in the pen, really good to use as options um, on weeks where your starters just weren't there or hurt um, good ratio guys, but they just never got the chance to close because the turnover on closes was less this year. And I just think there might be a little bit of an overreaction on that deep end where maybe a lot of people are looking towards prospect. Maybe you can pick part, you know, a couple of next man ups in the bullpen. Um, but it's, uh, it's just what makes this so much fun. Like you said, it's just, it's just so enjoyable to, you know, and I think it's so fun to get into the, the next draft when maybe something, wasn't executed or you didn't get a certain like X amount of guys that you wanted to get from that previous draft or whatever it is. It's just that, that, that next draft, you know, where you're itching to right the wrongs of the, of, of the previous draft, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but no, I'm with you too, with the strong catchers. I like the two strong catchers. Um, I've, I've always been a fan of that. And um, this season, you know, the, there was a lot of catchers that were able to be found last year, later on in ADP that were really good. You know, um, in the Ryan Jeffers and the Connor Wongs, like they, they really came through in big ways. Um, and, and now it's like, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a drop on the top guys like JTR um, I think is still being misvalued, you know, as his ADP right now, which is like 90 ish, 95. I mean, yeah, all day. Yeah, yeah, I don't like. Oh, you were such a disappointment. Like people say, I think he had twenty home runs and sixteen stolen bases. And if you want to look at why he had eighteen less RBIs, just look at his numbers with running and scoring position, and you'll <coughs> that, and you'll figure that out real quick. That um, it's just it's fluky stuff. And he, you know what? He also switched spots from second in the lineup to sixth. So a lot of things changed for him. But the skills, uh, his his main core skills, did not change at all um yeah. and i just think that it's silly to see him drop there but yeah I'll, I'll take it all day and um then there's like a little bit of a concentration from like 100 to 200 where there's like less guys now in, the, in that top 70 like even will smith fell into the 90s you know which is i think another um if you don't think they're going to sign jd jdm back you know he should be able to get some of those dh plate appearances that he didn't get this year um yeah. but just um interesting um landscape for the catchers uh, for sure especially like yeah. sal p too like still he could still hit you know and he's just falling in 80 feet he's like oh but now he's got first base eligibility too so, yeah uh sal p um this 
it's, it's so much fun. But um, so for I know Alfield, did you say 10? Is that your number, 10? I think it's 10 minimum. At this yeah, point, 10 minimum. With, yep. at, at this point, being more flexible, um, I think I've got 12 and, and maybe even 13 on, on a team. <clears throat> yeah. It's um, and I you think just it's need them. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, like, <laughs> even even like um, you know, even at the end of the draft, it's it's, it's round you know, I'm forty five in my draft, and like I know Adam Frazier probably won't have a home right now, but just like those kind of guys who have the, the dual eligibility, and he did ten ten this year, you know, double mm-hmm. digits in both, um, and gives you second base outfield like those kind of guys too at the end of the draft can really just give you some flexibility um a whole bunch of value into your team and it's it's crazy i was just actually looking at um gabriel arias uh for a late round just because i really love his power stuff um but it's crazy how he just he just came short um one game short of the outfield right um and and one game short of somewhere oh no six Six short of third, so he still got first and short, which is an interesting combination. But last year, him having four spots was really huge. But I was like, you know, you know, when you bring up the eligibility and you see one game short, you're like, oh man. Well, the funny thing is when I when I start putting together my player pool and I'm doing those player eligibilities, um, you know, for players like that, I stick a little question mark because I'm like, you know, there's two weeks to go. Is he gonna get it? Is he gonna get it? Yeah. yeah. I, I always I, I went back and checked him like every other day. Like, yeah. Nope. Nope. Yep, and that's what I had to do for the, uh, you know, doing the too early draft in August. Um, really looking at that, you know, because, um, you know, last year I think we did it in August too, and and we kind of like forgot about a couple of guys not being, you know, qualified at certain positions. So, and you know, in the NFPC, um, in the draft room right now, if you're going to join a draft, you know, it's not it's not the position that they're going to be eligible for next year. So just, yep. just give everyone a heads up on that. You know, you just have to go in and do it on your own until the site turns over for after the postseason um, contest, then, then, then it will have the real positions in there. So don't, mm-hmm. don't get screwed by that for sure. Um, all right. So let's talk about your main event draft last year. Um, I got, I got your, I got your draft up here. Um, I did notice the first thing that popped out because I was looking at your overall ranks. Um, you know, the saves did really good there. You got the Batista um, at, at a at a great price, pick fifty six, and then got your Fairbanks who added um, decent amount there too. Um, but I really, I really liked how you. You know, you start off J Ram, and then you did the Nola Woodruff combination, which I thought was—I felt like a lot of teams I saw did that combination. And in you know, if Woodruff plays the whole season, that just really, that really completely anchors you 100% down. And then um, Albies is a—I mean, I got him at pick 75 in my live main in Vegas, and I, I didn't have any shares of him. I think I talk about this a lot, but when you go to the main event and you're in Vegas and you're like, I'm about to pick a guy that I haven't picked in 30 fucking drafts between draft champions, gladiators, right? And I have one Albie and he's just sitting there and I'm like, no, I think I'm going to take him here. <laughs> it was exactly the same with me. I don't have him on like, I think it's a total of like 36 NFPC teams. I didn't have him on a single other team. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And he was awesome. He was every yeah. bit of the awesomeness, you know? Um, so talk to me about this team. Tell me, tell me how the draft came about and, um, you know, 
what were the main goals for building yeah. this team? Yeah. Man, I think when I, when I went back and and looked at, at, at the draft board, the, the thing that jumped out to me was my first 13 picks, uh, with the exception of Bautista, who I, who I cut when he got hurt um, towards the end of the season. My first 13 picks were on my roster all season. There wasn't – That's awesome. I mean – you can't That's, ask for more than that. I can't imagine. I can't think of another like big league where that has happened to me before. So a lot of stuff kind of went right in the draft, but it didn't feel like it at first. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit, I, even though I already talked about it with the bot in your uh, in your Discord, uh, who provided <laughs> who provided me some pretty nice conversation. He really the guy, like totally <laughs> like totally failed the Turing test talking to your bot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your comment was just, uh, uh, it was just great. Uh, so, uh, yeah, join the, join the Meatball Mafia and go read it if you want to. <laughs> um, so this team, I felt really good about this team, um, but the season started and the first two months were really, really discouraging. Um, on May 28th, which was week nine, I was tied in last place in the league with 58 Point five points, and I was just talking to some people, just 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 like venting, saying like I feel like this team is really good. I don't understand why it's such garbage, and uh, it was it was from that point that the team just took off like a rocket ship, and a whole bunch of things really started going right. I mean, Albies got hot. Um, Yoshida got hot, Santander got hot, a whole bunch of like Sean Murphy got got red hot all at the same time. And the team just started to take off. And, you know, the thing I was talking to your bot about in the discord was uh, when you had when you had Slack on uh, Slack and Dylan White on on your last show that they were talking about how poorly their team was doing. And when it took off and and started chasing the overall and how it started climbing up the overall, they used the word exhilarating. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it felt that way to me too, man. Like over the course of like a dozen weeks, every day I would check my stats and it would just be monster numbers every single day. And every day I'd, you know, I'd climb 10, 15 spots in the overall one or two spots in the standings of the league. And it just kept going and going and building and building and all kinds of things just, just started going right. I mean, I'm looking at, like some of the some of my fab ads. I mean, you know, Woodruff went down early, and uh, you know, I should give a shout out to to Dom, the bullpen guru, because I was going to drop Woodruff, and mm-hmm. and uh, and Dom was like, "Whoa, buddy, you know, I probably I probably slow your roll on that one," and he kind of <laughs> talked some talked some sense to me, and I held Woodruff so that he could you know, ride in like a white knight at the end of the season. But, <laughs> but you know, I added, so I got Braxton Garrett in week yep, three. I see that. Held, yeah, that's huge. held him all season. But the, the real big ads, like Marcelo Zuna in week eight for 37 bucks, held him all season. Uh, someone in my league cut Jake Fraley. Uh, so I added him in week eight for 104 bucks. I just went out and got him. And over the next six weeks, he had eight home runs. Eight stolen bases, twenty-five RBI, just just this monster month. Right after I added him, 
you know, I dated Kerry Carpenter off and on all season. I added yep. him in week, I added him in week four and I cut him in week six. And then I added him in week 10 and held him the rest of the season. And he was just gangbusters for me. You know, some things went right when, uh, when Cleveland started calling pitchers up. Uh, I didn't get Bybee, but that same week I got Logan Allen for 176 bucks. That was, that was my biggest buy all season, which, you know, was probably an overpay, but the guy pitched a hundred innings for me, struck out a hundred batters, got me six wins. I, I held him for the rest of the season, even during that short period that he, that he got sent down. Uh, ratios weren't great, but he was absolutely a, a valuable piece of my pitching staff. Um, added waters for a buck in week 13. He was great Huge. the rest of the way. And, you know, just a whole bunch of my late ads, just everything felt like it was going right. I had a DJ Stewart, got four home runs out of him. Yep. Uh, Get the Evan Carter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. The Evan Carter thing was awesome. I got him for a, <laughs> I got him for a buck for those final couple of weeks. Outstanding. And, you know, so by week, what, what week was it? Uh, man, by week 12. Week 22, so on August 27th, I had climbed all the way and I was sitting in first place in the league. And uh, I was like 130th overall. And uh, from there, it was just, I was like in it. You know, it was just a dogfight to the end with with uh, two or three other teams. And you know, we were, standings were changing for second, third, that whole time. The thing, everything was so close. All the categories were like one RBI out, you know, all the, you know, there were five wins that were all within one or two wins of each other. You know, Bautista went down and I was like three saves up on the last guy and then on the guy behind me and Fairbanks stepped up and got me a couple of key saves at the end there. And I had Kyle Finnegan down the stretch and I think he got me one save just to protect. I think the guy caught me, but, uh, but Finnegan made it. So it was only half a point instead of a point. And, uh, you know, I, I only finished second. I didn't win the league, but it was, it was just like Slack described it, man. It was exhilarating. It was, it was so much fun uh, to, to be in a race like that and having a team rise like that. And I just I me, can't wait to do it again. Yeah. The <laughs> like, one thing I noticed about your team, when I looked at the standings, um, uh, I, I saw like, like you mentioned week 12, uh, week 10, 60 points, week 11, 72, and then week 13, 82, week 15, 92 and a half. Like you said, those are, those are exhilarating moments when you get that eight, nine, 10 point week. And you just, you're like, Whoa, like just remind you that it's a doable. Right. And it's also remind you how, how much fun it could be <laughs> when yeah. everything's going right. And no. yeah, again. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, playing this game for this long, you know that you can have a team in the gutter that that you know, rises from the ashes to to win it all. Um, but, you know, having, having something like this where everything goes right in the main event, uh, it just is just one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. I just can't wait to do it again. Yeah, and I see like, um, you know, with home runs, um, RBIs, Again, like, like the middle of the year, you're at four points for home runs and then seven and eight and then nine and 11, you know, and then you even run up at yeah. 13, but ended up at 11 when you're midseason at four. Um, that's awesome. 
Um, and then, you know, like I said, saves, we just, you were consistent there, but even ERA, you, you kind of like chipped away at, and you, you got some more points there. It's just awesome to see like an escalation of points in, in, in this kind of way, you know, um, that's, that's my favorite thing that I see when I look back at my teams and I'm, I'm reminded, you know, like, oh, wow, look at that push. Like I, I think it's just awesome. You know, when you just say, all right, I need this category and it comes through <laughs> It's such a big, uh, I don't know. It's a big rush. Definitely. For sure. sure. Um, sure. but yeah, no, you did, you, you did well there in battling and that's the thing, right? You just, 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 just stay in there and, and, and give it what you got. Right. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's awesome. It's just awesome feeling of just never giving up and making life hell for everyone around you, despite, um, <laughs> you know, them thinking you might just like fold over. Um, yeah. so you mentioned those, you know, those first, what are the 12 guys, 12 guys in your team or even France, France never left your team. Um, yeah, man. What do you think about Ty France right now? Russell is like ADP is like three fifty ish. And he's going, he's got apparently JPC bring him over to drive line, but his, you know, his stats last three years are just going in the wrong direction. Um, I've always thought he was like a vanilla <laughs> guy, you know, for his, for his prior ADPs. But what do you think about him this year? It's an interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, he, he was another guy that I didn't have on a, on a single team. And um, Man, it was like, with that. I mean, it was, it was like, it was a beautiful thing when Santander finally got first base eligibility. Cause then I could, I could start sitting in France a little bit. Um, I think, where is he going? Like around 400. Uh, let me bring it up exactly. I think the last time I saw, yeah. Um, you know, like, what do I think of France? Like, I am not crazy about Ty France, yeah, and neither am I. Uh, but at pick four hundred, I I think he might be somebody I I take into DC at that at that spot because he's, you know, I, I I complain about like the Nick Allens of the world that are just empty filler. I mean, Ty France seems to me even with like if he just repeats what he did this season, that's just like a a tier above empty filler right and and uh he's he's done enough in the past for you to know there's a little more potential there mm -hmm. so i think at pick 400 that's a that's a i think that's a pretty good pick yeah 377 right now of the four draft that are in i know there's about six or seven drafts that are happening right now so i think in a couple of days we'll get populated uh, you know a couple more drafts in there uh but yeah i i do think so too at that point he he might you know just be a guy that's an option for you. Um, you might not be thrilled to pick him. Um, I'm still, <laughs> I don't know. It was, just, it was a couple of guys. You just like, you take your time and just thumb through the ADP and kind of point out and, oh man, this guy's going here. This guy's going here. Um, yeah. that's, that's the best that's, part of it. That's one of, you know, dealing with Ty France, that was one of my more difficult decisions I kept having to make all season because he had, let me pull up his, his, first half, second half splits. I feel like he had a decent first half. And I kept thinking, you know, he'll he'll bust out of this. Yeah, he, he'll, he'll do this. <laughs> let's see. He – I mean – Yeah, first, first, first half, seven homers, 261. We had a – 106 WRC plus. Yeah. Not too bad. You know what? His home run per barrel rate 
in in the second half was 33%. League average is 58. So that kind of explain a lot of it. You know, having barreled up 15 balls, only get five for home. And even if you sprinkle in, you know, uh, three more there and he gets the league average, that's that, that, you know, that gives him a better line. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, he's an interesting case study there. Again, that's why just might be one of those boring, but beautiful guys that just might accumulate. And that, but that's the thing yeah. that I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm worried about. Like at 31, um, do the Mariners start looking, you know, this is the first year where his, his, his righty lefty splits were, were down, you know, like he yeah. I think he was at 690 versus righties this season, and that's not awful, awful, but that's yeah. not, you know, um, yeah. means of staying in the lineup all the time. So, and yeah. he didn't lose any time, you know, at the end of the year or the course of the year, but it's just gives me second, you know, it, it just he, gives me second thought. He's been negative defensively, I mean, every year he's been in the league, so it's like it's not like it's his glove keeping him in the lineup. They could, this, you know, they could stick anyone at first base. This is what I love about fantasy baseball, baseball specifically draft champions, where we'll just we'll spend so much time thinking about some random player, you know, that like Ty France, you know, like I I've been thinking about him for way too long uh, this yeah, week. I can talk about Ty France another ten minutes if you want. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, <laughs> uh, man. So. Um, yeah. So, and then you also brought up your your fab, and you did note um, like your your highest player of the of your fab in period was one seventy six for Logan Allen, and then your other hundred and four was Jake Fraley, mm-hmm. um, and and I think it's huge that what you said about Allen. You know, it's like I think a lot of people, you know, um, really like, oh man, you really wasted three hundred on on Bryce Miller. And I'm like, I don't know. He got me, you know, seven wins and a hundred strikeouts and a 1.07 whip. <laughs> it's like it's not easy to get on on the wire. So I know that that number seems extraordinary, but sometimes, especially if you're desperate, you know, if you lost a Jake Agram or you lost a top pitcher, Brandon Woodruff, you know, and mm-hmm. and and you gotta go dipping. But like you said, get getting you a hundred innings off the wire with, with six wins, right? It, that's, that's, that's huge. Um, and I like your like concentration of, of bids here. Like early on, you're not afraid to just go a little higher and get your guys, you know, like the G1 Bays, the Braxton Garrett, Mac, you know, Matt Verling, um, you, you know, being, being a little more aggressive early in the season, um, and I think that's, that's an area where I have to get a little better at, get a little better at, not being like, you know what, I'm good at middle infield. I don't need this player that probably, you know, can help me and and worry about it later. I think that's where um, I was kind of like cheap in the beginning. And then in the middle, I got maybe too aggressive on guys that weren't going to make an impact for me. And I still got to leave more money at the end, despite having even like $6 for the last week. I just wanted 15 <laughs> Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> right? It's just, especially when you go back and look at, you know, um, and, you know, I, I won't, you know, there's a very, like, I think what's big now is people are looking at, you know, fab efficiency. And I think it's different. And, you know, and that you know, guy, Robin Cape, does a good job of digging up some numbers. But it's like, it's not just, it's not just how much you overspent on a player, right? It's the player you drop, the player you gain, the stat that guy gave you. Like, I don't care if I spent 88 bucks on CJ Abrams and the next guy spent six went because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause it, it's, if it's CJ Abrams that you gained and he got you 30 steals, it doesn't matter how much you spent yep. or I mean how much overspend there was. So I just, there's more context 
and just oh this was an overspend you know no, those I mean, guys where i looked at, i was like oh shit i spent 39 bucks on victor robles like that was an overspend like when the backup was you know 11 you know the week he's <laughs> like i was like okay that was an overspend they didn't have to go that high and he that that he wasn't going to be that much of an impact for me anyway i don't know what that must have been a Sunday night out drinking or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I track my fab all season. So <clears throat> each week when I sit down to do my fab, I got a spreadsheet that says, you know, how much how much I average per week for the for the rest of the season if I stick to that. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't really use that as the the number I can spend each week. You know, if there's if there's somebody, I basically look at it two different ways. If there's a player that I think is gonna has the has the possibility to both help me that week, but could maybe stick for the rest of the season. You know, those are the players where I will go over that weekly average for, you know, yeah. I'll go 40 or 50 bucks, like 46 bucks for Braxton Garrett. Um, you know, I needed him and I needed mm-hmm. him. I needed him to be on my team the rest of the season and to be good. But on those weeks where you're just looking for a streamer, somebody to, to fill the roster, maybe they got four games that Monday through Thursday, you know, you just got to lock that down, like three bucks. Yep. You know, that, that's where that's, you have to lock in those savings. But the players that are the, have the potential to really help you the rest of the season, you know, you just got to go out and get them sometimes. Yes. Yes. You're totally right. You do. You do. You just have to know that they're going to make an impact. Can't be afraid to spend up a little bit. Um, totally right about those, um, those, those partial week fillers. Um, <laughs> there was a gentleman in my league who, was on on the pulse with with who to take on Monday to Thursdays and Friday to Sundays, but it was always this was like me my first year in the main, and it was always like you know eighteen like you said instead of three, getting too excited you know about about mm-hmm. getting that and knowing that all right if I don't get Alex Call, um, you know Zach oh, McKinstry is just fine. I know he's got Alex Call is just I still look at him right now I'm in the just, DC is like round fifty and I'm like you know Alex Call. <laughs> I'm just. Curious to see how many times I added and dropped Alex Hall. <laughs> I saw him a couple of times on your, on your list. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he's totally in mine too. He was always <laughs> – they had – Washington had so many Monday to Thursday, uh, Thursdays at home or or like at a good park, and I was, you know, okay, this is a good ad. Um, the Marcelo Zeno um, ad, I mean, I mean, God, the run he went on was tremendous. Um and you got him 37 to 31. So tell me too, like, how does that, you know, cause there's sometimes when it's, you see a struggling guy who, you know, on, you know, can, can really make an impact in your team. Yeah. And that, that, that like mind frame to say, you know what, I'm not afraid to be aggressive on a player who's not hot and not playing well right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember. I mean, he obviously had a really terrible start to the season, which is why everybody was passing him over. Um, I don't remember what exactly he had done in the, the seven or 10 days leading up to that fab period, but I saw it just thought, man, if this is, if this is real, this could really help me. And so, you know, that was one of the, that was one of the times where I went out and, you know, bid, I, it must've been 15 or 20 bucks higher than, than what I had rest of season, um, you know, set aside per week and, you know, it just worked out. A hundred percent. And you know what? There was, um, you know, he wasn't playing, you know, again, because he wasn't playing well, but he wasn't playing every day. 
um, early on, you know, April, mm-hmm. early May. He he was in for all the lefties, but some righties. But then also too, that's also one of those indicators. Again, living living on the roster resources, living on the lineup grid page, the lineup tracker is just. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I lived off that thing. Oh, me but too. It's so big. It beats. It beats looking at you know last 14 days home runs because you see like oh wow this guy's playing every day now and it's just okay like there you go there's an opportunity here and i think ozuna had that point in may where he just strung together a couple of good games and then he started playing every single day never came out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he was just you know i think to kind of change uh change the topic just a little bit um this season, I got really comfortable uh, adding players, even if they were platooning, if they were performing really, really well. So, so Ozuna was kind of platooning a little bit, um, but I went ahead and added him, and he he produced and eventually took on that that everyday role. But you know, I was comfortable uh, throwing Kerry Carpenter out there, even though yep. he was only only playing against righties for for a long time. You know, Jake Fraley only playing against righties for a long time. At a certain point in the season, I just had all these guys in my lineup that that were only playing against righties, but but they were just mashing, and I just had to get comfortable with it. And you know, <laughs> you, know, you know, they're better than you know, two out of four from Kerry Carpenter was was better than four out of four from Alex Call. Exactly. And, and at a certain point, I just had to to tell myself that and roll with it. And you know, so those players they start performing, and the managers give them that everyday role. That's what happens right. with a lot of them. You're 100 percent right, man. You really hit that on the head. It's like, especially because there's more platoons now, so you have to feel comfortable uh, of you know. Again, we're all trying to maximize, 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 and then some day, it's like some weeks, they're like, you know what? There is no maximization here. Um, this this guy, you know, fine. L- Lane Thomas has two games on Monday to Thursday. Who cares? I'm not upgrading that with 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 some mo on you know on free agent. It's just not yeah, happening, you know. <laughs> he's probably gonna score three runs. Yeah, know? exactly. Is it um you know, and he's just got more comfortable having to hit those right platoons. And 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 again, you you nailed you know the lefty thing, and it, and it's an issue now too. As I'm doing draft champions, right? I'm adding these guys into my queue. or have these, these guys I'm targeting, and I look at it for a second. I, I step back and I said, you know what? All these guys are lefty bats, and 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 last year I took too many of them on my DC teams. Where there were some, you know, some periods where I was like, "Oh, here we go." You know, this guy's gonna sit two games. Um, so I'm just trying to be a little more conscious of that. And he's especially in the mid, later round. You know, when you get in those outfielder, you know, five, six, seven. Um, I'm I'm trying to be a little more hyper aware of of <laughs> trying not to have. Too many lefty bats because uh, <laughs> I failed to distinguish that on my teams. Not all my teams, but some teams where, like I said, on some Friday the Sundays, I'm like, well, <laughs> they're all going to platoon, so I just got to pick the best platoon. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm trying to, I'm trying to avoid that. But you know, at some point, I just couldn't. It was just like, is all that's left is really good lefty bats. So which one do you do? Oh yep. man, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. All right, so let's talk about your article. We teased everyone at the beginning of it. Um, and again, it's called Predicting 2024 MLB Playing Time for Prospects. So give us a rundown, Russell. Tell us your your process in doing it and, um, you know, how you're going to utilize this going forward. Yeah, so uh, 
like I said earlier, I, I had originally put this, uh, the, the tables all chopped up in the article. I originally only put it together for myself because I was trying to, trying to decide how to, how to predict uh, plate appearances and innings pitched for, for prospects heading into next season. And we've got all these new rules and it just feels like, you know, there's this, there's this sense that, that teams are being way more aggressive, calling right. up prospects and, and plugging them in immediately. So I just wanted to, to put together some kind of guide uh, to to help myself. So what I did was I used uh, Baseball HQ's top 100 prospects list, which is specifically tailored for fantasy. Um, you know, I really love that list, and I really love James Anderson's list. Um, but I used Baseball HQ Baseball HQ's just because 100 is a is a is a good easy number. And I was able to track down their, uh, you know, their their list as it is right now was the list heading into the season. So it was easy to just drop that into a spreadsheet and and map it all out. So what I did was I looked at uh, the top hundred prospects heading into this last season. Uh, I put down their age, what their highest level was the previous season, um, uh, and in many cases the highest level was an MLB debut. And then I'm and then I sort of tracked how much time they spent, uh, uh, how much time of their season they spent either in the minors or in the majors. So, you know, for someone like Corbin Carroll, obviously we know he started the season in the majors. He spent 100% of his time in the majors. And then for for someone like, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong, who came up uh, at, at the very end of the season, he spent 96% of his time in the minors. So I did that for all 100 players. And then I dropped them into uh, kind of this uh, heat, heat map style chart where I looked at age versus highest previous level and used it to predict. Uh, I'm going to use it to predict moving forward kind of a general idea of what we can expect prospects, uh, how prospects are going to be used um, heading into next season. So, for example, uh, all 21-year-olds who were on the list who had previously debuted basically spent the whole season in the majors last year. Um, 21-year-olds whose highest level was AAA collectively spent about 63% in the majors. And obviously, each player is different. Uh, teams are different. There are There's different opportunities on different teams, and some teams are more aggressive than others. Uh, but this is just to give kind of a general idea of what the expectation should be moving forward. So what I'm going to do when HQ, uh, I'm kind of using this as a shorthand right now, but but uh, in February uh, or whenever it is they release their new list heading into next season, I'll put together this chart for the top 100 prospects heading into next year and players that already debuted, players that that spent a lot of time in the high minors. Uh, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use these numbers to, to give kind of a baseline projection for how much time I expect the MLB teams to give them. So we don't have the, the lists for next season yet, but if you're to look uh, at the end of the article, the two tables at the end, which are uh, minor league top 100 prospects who did debut but didn't spend a majority of the season in the minors. These are these are a lot of the players I'm looking at right now. So, you know, for example, Jordan Lawler. Um, I ex, you know he only 
God, it felt like it was more than six and a half percent of his season, but he only yeah. spent six and a half. He only spent six and a half percent of his of his plate appearances in the majors. Uh, I'm going to be back in on him. Uh, top guy who got a taste. He's got the off season to get right. You know, I would expect him to spend ninety percent or more of his of his plate appearances in the majors next year. A guy like Junior Caminero. I mean, he's been up. He got a taste. The opportunity is there. I know it's Tampa, but and I would expect him to spend a majority of the season in the majors. And, and these guys are being drafted that way. People, right. people, people aren't stupid, but, but you have to kind of put a, like, you know, I use projections and I use SGP and, and you have to be able to put a, to put a price on it. And the price is derived from the playing time. So I'm going to use uh, the chart I've put together here to predict the plate appearances in the innings so that I can put a price on what I'm willing to pay for these prospects. I love it. I love it. It's such a, it's such a nice list. And as soon as I started reading it too, um, you know, thinking back on each player and how they spent this past season and it's just like, oh yeah, I could see this being a, a super um, good target in a, in a draft champions, you know, um, it, Everyone on this list is just like, yeah. It, but I love how you put um, that table, that that little um, chart that you put together. It was just really good because it's so simple to kind of look. Again, just give yourself a quick gauge as I'm looking at players right now. And it's just um, it, it, it's, it, it's kind of nice. It's like, all right, this guy's 22. He played. Um, he, he got a little bit of a cup of tea. All right, so he, he should be able to spend at least 70% of his time in the majors. And that's 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 really that's really awesome. There's a lot of guys on this list too, like Henry Davis, Jordan Westberg. Um, those are interesting players for sure. Um, yeah. Cause I think Davis, I think, I think there's a reluctance to draft him because he's not a catcher anymore, but it doesn't mean he's not a good player anymore. He's still number yeah, one sure. pick of the draft and he still hits the shit out of the ball and <laughs> it's, it's, gonna, it's only going to get better. So, yeah. um, and, and Peraza too, who's going to probably find a whole bunch of time with the Yankees somewhere, you know, um, he, he had, he had streaks last season at the end of the season. I, I was just, okay. Like he, he's going to have some time there, but, um, and then he got a good old, like, like you said, with Caminero, even Curtis Mead, um, you get some time with. Um, I know he's not on this list, but around there, just like the just the Tampa Bay guys in general, like just yeah. does Brandon Lau like uh, find a new home? Does does the spot open up for them there? And picking um, a Brandon Lau, I just picked him at two ninety six. I just feel like that's solid for a guy who has twenty one homers and seven stolen bases and three hundred and eighty plate appearances. <laughs> like yeah. again, he's a he's a left. You know, he's not going to hit versus lefties, but he hits good enough versus righties that I'll use him <laughs> on, on certain weeks. Um, Brian Rocchio is an interesting one that you have here on the list. Twenty two years old, entering um, twenty twenty three. Um, spent about. 14% of his time in the majors didn't get all the starts at short. They put like Arias there some days. They put um, Tanya there on some days. He's an interesting guy. He's a kind of a guy I just dove into a little bit, trying to mark some of, you know, my, my middle of veal attack and, and, and draft champions, um, him and Luciano. Um, you expect them to get full run. I mean, the Giants don't have anyone else. To play yeah, short, man, really. that strikeout rate on Luciano really, I know. really scares me. I feel it like, does. like I feel it, like the bottom may not even have to fall out. Um, it may yeah, just he looked overmatched. He's just not ready. That's the thing. Yeah. I think he'll be ready soon, but he's not ready now. I like I like, yeah. like Rokio to spend a like 
almost, if not all, of the season in the majors. And I think they said as much that they want him to have the job. And he's got great day, great plate discipline. And, you know, he comes up. He sold 25 bases in the minors last year. Like, he doesn't have to do much for him to be valuable where he's being drafted and draft champion. So I, I think he's a pretty good pretty good stab to take. Um, what about your boy, Matt Mervis? I noticed you fabbed him a couple times too oh last year. Man, so you know, talk talk to me about Mervis. Are you back in? Are you back in? <laughs> the, the story that, that, that you may have to read deeply into the fab to tell is that, man, I held him for a long time twice. Um, I'd have to go back and look how long it was. But, man, he sat on my bench for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to be back in on Matt Mervis. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me okay. see. I mean, he just absolutely crushed AAA when he went he back did. down. Yeah, like, he did. Like he was a man on a mission. I kept looking at what he was doing week after week. Um, let me just pull it up real quick. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess you know, there. too, like you have to figure um, – I don't know, with Candelario, he's probably going to be gone. You know, Bellinger's yeah. going to play just more of the outfield. If he's, I mean, if he resigns, <coughs> if they resign these guys. So there, there should be some time for him to come up and just at least start. Maybe he's in the season as the starter at first. Yeah, I mean, he's going around pick 400. Yeah, I'm, I'll am i take that step if, he's, if that's where he's being drafted. You know, there are like certain players that I just kind of get hung up on and I get sort of irrational about. <laughs> and, uh, like like in the bigs, it's Ramon Urias. I love that guy. Uh, yes, minor, le- minor, minor leaguers, um, you know, I think Matt Mervis is going to be one of those guys too. So he'll either he'll either prove me right or I'll go to the grave singing his praises. <laughs> one <laughs> one guy on that on your um, who spent up a twenty five percent of time in the majors list, right? Um, Right near Mervis is Noel V. Marte, and his 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 draft price is not oh, cheap yeah. right now. No, um, it's not. It, it it is not cheap. Um, it is in the uh, one fifty seven right now in the four draft the NFBC has logged, and that is I mean he's going right next to Andre Jimenez, um, who took a huge plummet this year in his ADP, but despite really having like similar numbers, it's kind of kind of crazy i know he doesn't score a lot of runs but still um anyway Marte is just interesting because i love the power speed combination maxi maxi v sprint speed all that stuff he's a toolsy player but just they have so much to deal with there <laughs> in cincinnati yeah. and that I price mean, is tough i really like Marte a lot i'm probably not paying that price yeah um you know cincinnati the way they're talking right now like in uh the most recent mining the news uh <clears throat> Zimmerman's got got the the brass in Cincinnati saying there might be some players who have to spend some time in the minors. It's like, well, who's that going to be? Hopefully, it's not. You know, they're all really, really good. They're all really so, good. Yeah. Unless unless somebody gets moved or traded, there's just everything has to go right. I think for for a 150 ADP to to pay off. I think I'm probably just going to be looking at somebody else at that yeah. end of the draft. Yes, I I've already made that just decision to that's just way way too high. I mean, just look at you know like last year and I mean even in your main event, just getting like a Bryson start at two thirty, Hassan Kim right after two hundred. There's there's guys who who can have um, a similar profile that 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 you'll be able to pluck you know 
later on yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Where the playing time will be locked in. But um, <coughs> cool. Awesome yeah. stuff, Russell, man. I really appreciate this article. We really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And if anyone wants to read it, it's armchairroto.com. And find Russell on the X Twitter machine, right? I think you're there, yep. too. Yeah, the send armchair. me an X message. Send, send you an X message. <laughs> At Armchair Roto. Um, but, Russell, great, great, great stuff, man. I wish you um, a ton of luck this season. And thanks for coming on and, and, and breaking it down for us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Let me, can I tell a quick story? Real yeah, quick before, oh, yeah, please. Get please say anything you, you want. Anything you probably you don't remember this, but maybe three or four years ago in the uh, the SP Streamer Discord, uh, you and I had a conversation about Chris Bassett. Wow. And uh, I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as as heated, but we but we disagreed a little bit. And uh Later on, I saw you write in the Discord, "Don't be a bag of shit," and I and I thought, I thought, is this guy talking to me? Like, <laughs> what is this? You know, I didn't do any, I didn't do anything to him. And it wasn't until you started podcasting and I started hearing you sign off with that uh, after every show, I thought, oh, okay, Rob doesn't actually hate me. <laughs> So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. I that's thought it was funny. funny. Man, that, man, that's a that's a that's a distant memory. I forgot about that. And now I kind of remember a little bit of that conversation. Yeah. Oh man, Chris Bassett, and he still still wants to, he's still good, this guy. He's just I'm, crazy. I'm still I'm still a Bassett hound, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you throw seven pitches and 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 you can keep everyone, you know, on their feet, it's just uh pretty solid. That's a funny, that's a funny, that's a funny one. I like that. That's a good story, Russell. Thanks for thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that good old no trip problem. down memory lane. So don't be back of shit. Yeah, it pretty much. It's uh, and it could be used like in a good way too. Like you could use it as a term of endearment. I I I do it sometimes to people where I'll give them a look like they'll figure something out, you know, before me or something like they crack the code or they crack the puzzle, and I'll look at them and I'll smile. I'm like, you bag of shit. You know, it can be used in a term of, as a term of endearment too. So that's for everyone out there. You could. You could utilize that. All right, Russell. Good stuff, man. Um, yeah. Good luck in the draft room, man. All right. Go knock sure. it out of the park. Thanks for everyone tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. And like Russell said, don't be a bag of shit. Peace.